0: It seems like we find a new problem every time we turn a corner. I mean, there are people in our world who are hurting. There are people right here in our neighborhood who are hurting. And it seems like at times our our world is more divided and more polarized, more partisan than ever before. And often, if we're not careful, we can become so overwhelmed with all the problems of the world, all the evil of the world, all of the need of the world all of the racism and hatred of the world, that we can become overloaded and we can feel powerless. Well, what can I do about it? It's just me against the world. And yet there is power in finding God's purpose for your life. And God does not just have you here to mark time. He has you here to make a difference. He can use you right where you are, even in your sphere of influence, to make a difference. Maybe it's just a difference in one person's life, but you will have changed and touched a life forever. In fact, one of the reasons that we as followers of Jesus gather together in what we call churches is because Christ called us together for a purpose. To worship Him, to love Him, to learn more about Him. And also to live for him and to tell other people about him. And what he wants to do is he wants to continue that ministry that he began in his body on this earth. Of doing good, meeting needs, changing lives. And he wants to continue that through us. Through me, through you, through us together collectively as a church. I hang out with pastors a lot, and sometimes the question comes up in our conversations, if our church closed our doors tomorrow, would anyone in our community notice? I think there's a better question than that. It is this, if we closed our doors for the last time tomorrow, would anyone in our community miss us? It's one thing if they notice that we're no longer here and that we've closed up and have ceased to exist, but it's another thing if they truly miss this church being here. In Fort Caroline Baptist Church, our heartbeat is that this community know we are here and that we're here, not what we can get from our community, but what we can give to our community and what we want and believe for our community. That's why we have a rich history of community outreach and ministries making a difference in people's lives. Whether it's feeding hungry people or helping the homeless or taking care of widows and orphans or helping rescue women from human trafficking or helping put families back together after they've fallen apart or comforting grieving people whenever they're dealing with the loss of a loved one. You may not know this, but we're not the largest church in the city. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but we're not the largest church in the city. We're a large church, but we're not the largest church. But can I tell you what this church has done in just the last 10 years? This will blow your mind. In the last 10 years, you guys have given over $2.5 million to missions and community ministries that are touching lives here and around the world. And that's just $2.5 that we sent out the door. That doesn't include what we do here in the walls of this church for families and children and teenagers and senior adults and everyone in between. That's just the money that we send to missionaries and community partners who are making a difference because we want to be a church that is touching lives and changing lives. Sadly, in America this year between 6 and 10,000 churches will close their doors for the last time that means this week 100 to 200 churches will die and i wonder how many of those communities will miss those churches we're not just going to be a church that occupies a piece of property here on this street we're going to be a church that is for this community that is making a difference in people's lives. We're going to build on that rich history that God has given us. And that is what this campaign is all about. We're joining with many other churches across America in a campaign we call Be Rich. And I know that when we did this last year for the first time, people pushed back on that title. What does that mean, Be Rich? You're teaching us how to be rich? You're telling us we ought to be rich? Is this another one of those... Health and wealth and prosperity gospel sermons? And the answer is no. It's not any of that, but the title did its job. It made you lean in and say, what is that about? And so maybe you're new to our Be Rich campaign this year. I want to tell you today what it's about and how it comes right from Scripture. This is what God expects of us to do. He expects us to be rich in doing good. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to find practical steps that we can take individually and as a church to truly be rich and bless this community during the next month. So what I want to do is take you to a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a young pastor named Timothy. So we're going to go to a letter. It's the first letter we have a copy of. We call it First Timothy. Isn't that a novel way of remembering that? So now you know why we call it First Timothy. We have two letters But this was the first one, 1 Timothy, and we're going to start with chapter 6, and we're going to begin reading with verse 9, and if you'll follow along with me today, either in your own Bible or I'll put the scriptures on the screen for you, you're going to discover how in God's eyes and in the eyes of the majority of the world, you are rich, and you're going to discover how God expects you to be rich and live out the blessings He has poured into your life. And you're going to discover the purpose that God has for you today. Here in these few verses, we're going to talk about today. Now, we are talking about money, but I want you to relax. Okay? <laughs> just, just, just calm down and relax. Because we're talking about money today, but we're talking about not giving money to the church, but giving money to the community and giving it away and making a difference. But we're also talking about more than just money. We're talking about our time and serving other people. We're talking about giving food to feed other people. But Francis Bacon, many, many years ago, said, money is a great servant, but a bad master. And that is so true. You can do a lot with money. You know, someone said money won't buy happiness, but it sure makes a great down payment, and I, I kind of like that. But money... Is a great servant. You can do a lot with it if it's serving you, if you are the one directing your money to fulfill the purpose that God's given you. But money makes a terrible master. If money ever grabs hold of your heart and the desire for it and the lust for it, you will become the servant and it will become the master. MasterCard will become, is a MasterCard even a thing anymore? It, it will become the controlling factor. In your life. And this is not a new thing. Even in the first century, when the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to this young pastor, he knew this was a problem even for the Christians of the first century that if they're not careful, rather than mastering their money and leveraging their money, their time, and their talents for the kingdom of God to help other people, they will be mastered by their money. They'll forget God, and they'll just start letting money control every decision that they make. Money will control every relationship of their life. And many people will be pulled into temptation, pulled into get-rich-quick schemes, pulled into cheating pulled into using people just to get more money. And that is not right under any circumstances, but it's certainly not right for people who claim to be followers of Jesus, who gave his life away for the good of other people. So Paul had to deal with this in the first century. And listen, it still applies to us in the 21st century today. He begins this way, 1 Timothy 6, verse 9. But those who desire to be rich... Fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Paul is not saying to this young pastor that there's anything wrong with wanting to make more money, with wanting to have a better standard of living, with wanting to move up and and to better yourself and your family. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about this overwhelming power, this overwhelming lust, this overwhelming urge to get more money and to compromise your values to do it. He's talking about temptation. Temptation. He's talking about a snare, a trap. He's talking about people getting themselves into senseless and harmful desires just to get more money. And he's talking about people who will do whatever it takes to get a little more money, even if it means ruining their own lives in the process. Now, no one starts out to ruin their life, but that's the result if money becomes the controlling factor and desire and ambition of your life. We see it all the time, don't we? We see it when Hollywood actors and their families will spend good money to cheat a system to get their child into the best school, to help their child get a better head start, and wind up going to jail or having to pay a fine or both. And you think, what is wrong with people? Why would you do that? It's a lust for more. In my first church, I served as the pastor. It was my first Sunday as the pastor. I'm like 19 years old, and I'm sitting on the stage. We finished the singing, and it was time to take up the offering. And I'm watching as the ushers come forward and start passing the offering plates down each row. And it's normal until they get to the very back row. And then I see them all dump everything into one lady's open purse on the very back row. She just opens her purse, and they just dump all the loose change and the dollar bills and the checks into her purse, and she zips up her purse. And I thought, that's odd. Shouldn't we have a counting team of three or more people to count all of that and to fill out a deposit slip and to take that to the bank? How, how are we protecting her from being accused of stealing money if there's no one but her counting it? And so I didn't say anything during the service, of course, but in my first deacon's meeting as the pastor of the church, I brought that up. I thought that was the chance to say, I think there's a better way for us to handle money with integrity and transparency, not to put this person in a bad situation where she could be falsely accused of embezzling money. My first deacon's meeting almost became my last because they chewed me out for even bringing it up? How dare you come in here in your first week, try to change things and tell us how we ought to do things and how could you say that she's not trustworthy? And I said, no, 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 I didn't say she wasn't trustworthy. I'm just saying it's not fair to put her in that position. I could have said to you, I put $500 cash in that offering plate and it didn't show up in the week's bank deposit and she now doesn't have a leg to stand on against my accusation. That's wrong. Make a long story short, I lasted there about a year and a half. I finally resigned. I wasn't forced out, but I thought, you know what? I'm too young. They need somebody older that they're going to respect. And so I bowed out gracefully and went to serve a second church a few months later. And one Monday morning, I received a phone call from the chairman of deacons of my first church. And he said, Ricky, we owe you an apology. We just found out that we have not had $12,000 in the checking account in years. And that Ms. So-and-so who would take the offering every week and deposit it had actually embezzled over $70,000. The church is broke. We have nothing. And we owe you an apology because we were so mad at you and you said there has to be a better way. And we owe her an apology because we are the ones who put her in the position to be tempted by having all of that money... At her disposal. Later when I talked to her. Because she was a dear friend of mine. When I talked to her. She said. Ricky it happened so innocently. I was thinking about something I really needed. It was a legitimate need. I didn't have the money. And I thought. Well I'm just going to take a $20 bill out of the offering. I'll pay it back at the end of the week when I get paid. And one week turned into two and three and months and years. She did not start out to ruin her life. But the desire for more tempted her to do things she said she would never do. Now, I know most of us are going, well, I would never do anything like that. But the reason Paul had to write this to Timothy was because we are all prone to giving in to the temptation to letting money use us rather than us use money. He continues in verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. This is probably one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. You'll hear people today say, money is the root of all evil. No, that's not what the Bible says, and that's not true. Money is not the root of all evil. Read it carefully. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's the love of money. It's where money becomes your idol. It becomes your God. It becomes what you love and long for the most. That is the root of all kinds of evil because that kind of love, desire, temptation springs up into all kinds of evil choices. He says, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Paul is saying there are many people who used to be with us in church and they used to sing the songs and they used to say amen to the sermons. But they're no longer here because they've wandered away. They didn't walk away. They didn't intend to leave, but they've wandered away from their faith in God. God is not first in their life anymore. Money is now their God. Money is now first in their life. And they thought they were chasing the good life, but they found the bad life. And they have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That's what the word pangs, P-A-N-G-S, means. It means sorrows. It means mental distress. It means worry. It means struggle. It means anxiety. And he says these people have caused themselves so many problems by letting money master them rather than them mastering their money to the glory of God. And in none of this is Paul saying that money is bad. He's saying money is neutral. It's what you do with it that makes all the difference in the world. A brick is not immoral, neither is a brick moral. A brick is amoral, it's amoral, it has no morals. It's who's holding the brick that makes the difference. One person can take a brick and throw it through a plate glass window and cause destruction with that brick. Another person can take that brick and add it to other bricks and build an orphanage that becomes a home for children. The brick is amoral. It's what's in the heart of the person who holds it and who uses it that makes the difference. And money is not immoral or moral. It's amoral. It's without morals. It's what you do with it. It's how you view it. It's how you handle it. That makes all the difference. And so Paul is saying we need to learn how to be rich. We need to learn how to use what God's blessed us with in a way that honors God and is helpful for us and for other people rather than destructive. So we need to learn how to be rich. Look down at 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Paul continues to write, As for the rich in this present age charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. And maybe you're like me, the first time you read that, you're going, oh good, that verse isn't for me. Because it says it's for the rich. That's not for me. That's, I'm not rich. The people who have more than me are rich. I'm not rich. So let's keep moving, Ricky. This verse doesn't have anything to do with me. I picked the wrong Sunday to come to church. But when you think about you and me compared to the first century audience that Paul is writing to and their standard of living i guarantee you all of them would say you folks living in america in the 21st century are filthy rich he's you're the exact people he was referring to how many of you have ever traveled to a third world country anybody here Can I ask those of you who just raised your hand, you've traveled to a third world country, are we not as Americans rich? Listen, if you drove in a car this morning to get here, you are rich. If you've ever poured milk out into the sink because it had passed its expiration date, you are rich. If you've ever taken home a to-go box from a restaurant, just the fact that you were in the restaurant... Compared to the majority of the world, says you are rich. If you ran the hot water in your shower this morning before even getting in and you even had hot water, you are rich. If there are two cars in your driveway, or if you're like our family, you have $1,000 worth of junk in the garage and $28,000 worth of cars in the driveway, something's wrong with this picture, you're rich. Has has it ever dawned on you that we put our junk in the garage and our expensive cars out in the sun, in the weather? In fact, if you make $48,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. The problem is, none of us ever feel rich. No matter how much money we make, we never feel rich, do we? How much do you need to be rich? A little more just a little more how much do you need to be comfortable a little more because we define rich as the person who makes more than me and there will always be someone who makes more than me therefore I'm not rich they're rich but Paul is talking to all of us in this room today for those of you who are rich in the things of this present age he's not talking about being rich towards God with spiritual rewards and, and investing your life in the things of God so that, as Jesus would say, you are rich towards God in spiritual ways. Now, he's talking about in this present life. You got some money, you got some clothes, you got some possessions, you, you, you got some things in your life, then you need to preach to them, Timothy, as the pastor of the church. You need to command them, you need to instruct them, you need to charge them not to be haughty. That means prideful, arrogant. Just because you have more than someone else does not give you the right to look down your nose at someone else. When when we go to a third world country on a mission trip, we are not surrounded by people who are beneath us. We are surrounded by people who are created equal with us, who are created in the image of God. And honestly... Some of the best people I've ever met and the most godly people I've ever met weren't here. They were over there. And besides, why would you ever be haughty and prideful that you've got a a few more things than someone else does? Because all those things came from God. You can't take credit for those. Well, I worked hard. Well, who gave you the power and the wisdom to even be able to do your job? God did. Who put the breath in your lungs? Who keeps your heart beating? God does. And teach them, command them, instruct them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Don't put your confidence in your cash. Don't set your hope, your confidence, your faith, your security... Your confidence in uncertain riches. Because they can be here today and gone tomorrow. The stock market giveth and the stock market taketh away. And if you put your hope in your stock portfolio, what happens when you wake up and there's been a crash? Where's your hope now? What happens if you put your hope in your home, and a fire ravages your home. What happens if you put your hope in your bank account and then one medical emergency wipes it all out? Well, when your stuff's gone, then your hope is gone. So, what should you do? He says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Because the uncertainty of riches makes them unworthy of your trust. They're not worthy to be trusted. There's only one who's worthy of your trust. He says, but as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. That's where you put your hope. You set your hope on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Place your hope in your provider, not your provisions. Put your hope in the one who gave it to you, not what you got. Put your hope in God. Because I don't care what happens to the stock market, or what happens to your health, or what happens in the next election, or what happens tomorrow. No matter what changes in this world, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He has a purpose and a plan, and you better keep your eyes on Him. Everything else and everyone else will let you down. Everything else and everyone else will disappoint you. But God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And if your hope is in Him, your hope is secure. If your confidence is in Him, your confidence is secure. Why do you think Jesus could go to a bloody cross... Stripped of everything and bleed and die, but not lose his confidence in his heavenly Father. Sure, he cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But don't you get it? He's still talking to the Father. He may not feel the Father. He may not understand what the Father's up to. But he's still calling out on the Father. And at the very end of his six hours of agony on that cross, what does Jesus say? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. My my faith, my hope, my confidence that on the other side of this groaning is glory is in you. That's why Hebrews chapter 12 verses 3 and 4 says that We're to keep our eyes on Jesus who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God the Father. His confidence was not in his circumstances, his possessions, the opinions of people, the political approval or disapproval of his day. His confidence was in God the Father. And Paul says, you need to put your confidence in God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And I love that. Paul is not saying, if you have stuff, you ought to feel guilty. How dare you live in that nice house? How dare you drive that nice car? How dare you wear that nice ring? No, that's not what he says. He says, if God's given you stuff in this present age, be grateful, be humble but enjoy it. That's why God gave it to you. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the blessings of God that He's given to you. I mean, it's like me. I enjoy that one private jet I have. I mean, I I enjoy flying. No, I don't have a private jet. (laughs) No, if God's blessed you with things, be grateful for that. But your confidence, your hope is not in your stuff. It's in your Savior. It's not in your material possessions. It's in your Maker. It's in God himself. In fact, Paul continues in verse 18. He says, they are, talking about the rich in this present age, that's me and that's you, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Paul says, here's what you do with all the good stuff God's given you. Put it to work for you rather than you working for it. Put it to work for the kingdom of God rather than the kingdom of men. Do good. Just like your Savior went about doing good. Do good as God gives you opportunity. And be rich in good works. Nothing wrong with being rich in the things of this world. But make sure you're also rich in good deeds that your possessions now enable you to do. And be generous. Don't be stingy. Be generous. And be ready to share. Don't have to be prompted and manipulated and coerced. Be on the edge of your seat, ready to share what God's blessed you with when God tells you He wants you to share it. This isn't communism. This isn't socialism. This is Christianity at work. Where Christians say, God, everything I've got is from you. I don't own anything. I'm just a manager. What do you want me to do with what you've blessed me with? Thank you that you've given this to me to enjoy. What do you want to do with all these blessings? Since you have more, do more, give more. That's the bottom line of this whole campaign we call Be Rich. Now you know where we get the term Be Rich. Be rich in good works. Since you have more, Paul says, do more. Since you have more, give more. Now, sadly, in America, statistically speaking, the more people have, the less they give. They may give big dollars, but as a percentage of their income, they actually give less the higher up they go. One pastor made the statement, he said, someone came to him and complained about giving to the church. Do you know if I gave this percentage to the church, that's a lot of money. That's too much money. The pastor said, you are so right. Let's just kneel right here and pray God cuts your salary. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't mean that. <laughs> because sometimes the more you have, the less you want to do good and the less you want to give. But Paul says, no, 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 no. Do good, be rich in good works, be generous, be ready to share. That's why last year we challenged ourselves, me and you included, to to do good and to be generous and to be willing to share. We said, let's give money to a local nonprofit that's rescuing women from human trafficking, sex trafficking. It's called Her Song. It's a local nonprofit founded by Rachel White. I've been to this undisclosed Location. this home in an undisclosed location. I've seen what they were doing. The FBI, the State Department, um, Florida State Law Enforcement, the JSO, others often rescue women, but they have nowhere to put them as a home that they can rebuild their lives and, and be cared for and get the help they need and learn skills to, to escape from that whole lifestyle. But now her song gives women a home. They can live there for a year. And I've met some of those folks who, whose lives have been changed. And some of them have come to faith in Christ. So last year we said, let's take up an offering. Let's, let's set a goal. Man, $8,000, that'd really make a dent for them. You guys gave $16,000 in one Sunday to her song last week last year. Was that not awesome? We said, let's feed people in our community. Let's set a goal of 2,000 pounds of food for Arlington Community Services. You guys gave over 4,000 pounds of food. You gave so much food, the people at the food pantry said to us on the first day we were delivering all the food, "Uh, could you come back tomorrow with the rest? We don't have room for it. We've got to sort all of this. And so it took two full days to unload and to sort that food. But they have said, you guys have fed hundreds of families this year. Through that one food drive. We had 200 boxes of Thanksgiving food, if you recall, boxes of blessings. And we said, take one if you need it. Take another one and give it to somebody in need. And you fed 200 families at Thanksgiving last year. And we said, let's help our community partner, our faith-based partner, Mayport Elementary School. The grounds have not been kept up pressure washing needs to happen, weeds need to be pulled, mulch needs to be put out. We hoped a few of you would show up. Dozens and dozens of you showed up and worked for five hours on a Sunday afternoon and just totally transformed the way that school looked on the outside. And it blew the families away. And the kids were so ecstatic about that. That was last year. And as awesome as that was, we want to do it again this year. In fact, in your worship folder, you'll see an insert called Be Rich, Do More, Give More we're going to ask you again next Sunday to give to her song they only had one home with our blessing and with other community partners they have now purchased a second home so that they don't have to keep turning women away who need a home but we need to help them furnish that home we need to help them paint that home Tom Riley we need to help them (laughs) we need to help them stock and supply that home and so we're we're going to set a goal next week to give $10,000 to her song. I want you to come ready to give over and above your regular giving. Your regular giving supports all the missionaries around the world that depend on us. That comes through your regular offering. We take over 12% of what you put in the offering plate every Sunday and send it straight to missionaries. So we need you to give there first. And over and above that, give to her song. You can go to our website and learn more about it. On November 10th, we need you to give time in two different ways. We're going to go back to Mayport Elementary and we're going to make that place look great again. And we're also going to send a small team, and you have to be background checked, and we have to send you through a little bit of training, uh, but we're going to send a small team over to the new second location for Hersong to help do some work around the home there at that new facility. We'll do that on the same day, at the same time, and in both those locations, Mayport Elementary and Hersong's location, we will feed you lunch. Uh, November 17th, this is brand new. We've never done this before. We're going to partner with the Florida Baptist Children's Home here in Jacksonville by giving Christmas gifts to the kids. It is their annual Florida Baptist Children's Home Santa's Workshop, and you can go to our website and find a Christmas wish list of what the kids, we would like to give the kids. This is right from the, the children's home. This is what they said they need us to give, and we said, You can count on Fort Caroline Baptist Church. We'll put that wish list out. And you can count on Fort Caroline. So we're going to need you to help us do that on November the 17th. And then November 22 through 24, we're going to give food away again. This time we're going to do 500 boxes of blessing for Thanksgiving. And we're going to give 2,000 pounds of food to our local food pantry. We need 100% of you involved in 100% of these opportunities. Don't say, well, I'll do this one, but I'm not going to do the other three. No, we, we need you to do all of these. We need all of us doing all of this. Because remember, if you have more, then do more. Give more. This is what Christianity looks like. This is what it looks like to be a church living for the community. This is what it looks like for you to live out the purpose that God has for your life. In fact, Paul, Paul gives us a great motivation for what we do. He said in First. Timothy chapter 6, verse 19, that when we do more and give more, he says, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. He's talking about when you get to heaven, there will be some rewards with your name on it because of what you did down here. And you'll discover by doing good here and doing more here, you'll discover that's what life is really about. It's not about just getting, it's also about giving. So, how many of you are in? You say, I'm in, come in. Let's do it. Let's do this, be rich, let's pour out generosity. I don't see every hand. Let's pour out generosity on this community. And you say, Do I have to be a member to do this? No. You don't even have to be a believer in Jesus to do this. If you want to join us, join us. But we're doing it because we love God and because we love our neighbors and we want to show them the love of Christ. I'm out of breath and I'm out of time. So we're going to close and I want to pray right now. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, we commit this campaign to you. God, it's not about our church. It's not about any one of us in this room. It's about Jesus living his life through us. It's about us learning how to take the blessings you've given us and not only enjoy them, but to use them, to leverage them for the purpose of helping other people. God, there are so many problems and needs in this world. We can feel overwhelmed and we don't know where to begin. But through this campaign, you've given us simple steps of how we can light a candle in the darkness, how that we can heal a broken heart How that we can come alongside a child who's hungry. How that we can come alongside a family that's trying to make ends meet. How that we can come alongside a community full of teachers and administrators and tell them we see what you're doing with the limited resources our state and city gives you. We're going to come alongside you and help you. And we can do all this because you first blessed us. You've been good to us. and You've been generous to us in Jesus We just want to take that same spirit and use it in this community. May it be for the glory of Jesus. We know that we can't work our way to heaven. We just trust in Jesus and we're forgiven and heaven is our home. But we can certainly show the world a little glimpse of heaven by how we live and how we give and how we serve and how we meet needs. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.